Hey everybody and welcome to the Health Tech Podcast where we talk about everything healthcare and technology. I'm your host, James Somaru, and this is your weekly Sunday session. Good afternoon everybody and happy Sunday. So another week goes by in health tech and a bit of news that you might want to hear about. So a smart ambulance service is rolling out in the UK after a successful trial in the NHS. A psychedelic drug developer, Atai, raises $125 million. Investors to that include uh, Peter Thiel, if you know him, one of the founders of PayPal. A Beijing illness crowdfunding platform, Waterdrop, they've raised a whopping $230 million. And to increase these numbers even further, 2.3 billion is gonna be invested into the NHS, into new technology to improve the patient experience. And you can read all of those full stories and more in this week's Health Tech Pigeon, which is my newsletter. And uh, you can head to the description of this episode to click on the link and subscribe to that newsletter. And that's gonna be hitting inboxes this afternoon with all that news. And so for this episode, one thing I thought I'd do is give you a bit of a bit of bonus content from a conversation that I had with Indra Joshi. So following this theme about, you know, billions now being invested into the NHS for new technology, one of the things that are doing very heavily is, is investing into AI, well, essentially grant funding AI through what they call the AI award. And round one of that award happened a few weeks ago. We covered it on this podcast and in the newsletter and things. But round two is open and that is closing on the second, was it second or eighth? I think it's the eighth of December. You'll hear that in the episode anyway. So This is a conversation that I had with Indra Joshi, who is the director for AI at NHSX, and she is doing some incredible work putting all of this stuff together in AI. She's got some amazing thoughts and feelings about the future of AI in the NHS, and it really gives me a lot of hope and optimism that the NHS in the UK in particular is gonna be leading the world in the way that we're delivering AI in healthcare. So without further ado, here is that conversation that I had with Indra Joshi early this week. Indra, welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, great, James. Thanks for inviting me. You're very, very welcome. Uh, Whereabouts are you speaking to us from today, Indra? So, James, I am currently in my own home uh, down in South London, listening to the rain, which is (laughs) very pleasant on the roof. Uh, It's so so funny. Everybody talks about the weather on this, but the the listeners around the world must just think we're so British, (laughs) honestly. Um, it's a great opener though, isn't it? Oh, it is. It is. Definite icebreaker. Um, cool. So, Inja, I've wanted to get you on this for, for a long time. Um, I'm so glad that, that you're on now. Everything that you do is just so exciting with um, with NHSX and AI now. And it, yeah, it's just cool. So why don't you tell us and the listeners all about your background? Sure. Um, I always think, how do I big this up to make it sound really exciting um, for listeners It's a bit of a haphazard story, if I'm totally honest. Uh, My background is I'm an emergency medic. I've worked in what we call an A&E department, an emergency department, the emergency room, wherever you are, essentially an emergency. Um, Did that for a number of years, loved it, truly, truly loved it. But there came a point in my life where I thought, I'm really interested in digital and technology. Just want to explore what this means in both health and outcomes. And so took a pause from clinical practice, uh, explored the world of policy, which I totally recommend anybody who's always thought about, "Mm, it's great to do this on the front line, but what are the rules of the game? And then from there, worked in a startup for a few years, really interesting experience, 
and then thought, okay, let me go and join, um, or I applied to join rather, the team in the center. It was a digital transformation portfolio at the time. Um, colleagues may be familiar on the phone, listeners, uh, the National Informatics Board, great name, came out, <laughs> uh, about five years ago. It's always difficult being kind of a large organization. The NHS is a wonderfully large organization, but just to navigate your way through, really understand where are the gaps happening? You know, what are the gaps? And for me, kind of realize that evidence, standards, digital health standards and evidence, how do we kind of bring out those, essentially the rules of the game? And from there, also took a much uh, larger interest in AI. And over the last sort of three years, I've been working um, previously in NHS England, now NHSX, the new unit that's formed between NHS England and the department to start thinking wider about how do we apply AI into health and care. Very cool. And it seems that you've been, whether you'd call it at the forefront or you've seen a lot of change, let's say, as you say, from that first role that you had in policy to where we are now, it must be, I don't know, it must be interesting to have seen that. You know, I was part of it, I suppose, with the with the Digital Health London Accelerator. I, I felt like I was having conversations about technology and healthcare for the first time. There was all these strange tensions between like e-privatizing and like it was all it was all a strange time to be to be involved in that stuff. And you've I guess seen it with with not only digital but also with AI. So where are we now with that stuff compared to where you started? I mean, were you having conversations about AI when you first like went to the center and and I guess how how have you seen that grow to where to where it is now? Yeah, it's a really interesting question, isn't it? So if I think even think back at 10 years ago, you know, we, we talked about kind of telly and web yeah. 2.0 as these all really cool things. And now, I mean, telemedicine, virtual medicine, it's almost a no brainer, especially um, the events of the last five, six months with a pandemic of thinking about virtual, um, virtual health. And if we talk about AI, um, you know, about... I mustn't lie and I mustn't try and pretend it's been around for a long time. If you think yeah. of the basic kind of what we call clinical decision support systems or risk calculators, not necessarily AI in what we, in the academic sense, but that kind of um, probability and statistical analysis have been around for a number of years, but there's been a huge interest both from the investor community, from the developer community, and let's not lie about it, computing has got much faster. So it's allowed us to do a lot more of this at a cheaper cost, primarily, but also faster and smaller, so to say. And, and then from a kind of an NHS perspective, I think over the last three years, we've really seen an interest grow in this space. And that's because, and this is a bit of a personal passion of mine, there are some fantastic minds in the NHS. I mean, truly inspirational. You know, you think about some of the, the real academic units we have where people really put together technology experts with, with academic experts, but also clinical experts, you know, put them all together and you come up with some fast, fantastic um, ideas, but also products. Um, and um, I'll talk a little bit about it later, but through the AI award, we, we have an award, which um, basically it's a fund for want of a better word, which people can apply to. And it ranges from early stage research ideas right down to ideas that are market ready and ready for deployment and acceleration in the front line. And um, some of the great ideas that we've seen come through on those round one sort of phase one ideas, you know, from kind of detecting uh, risk scores but also detecting um pathology in images things that the human eye can't see um 
and when you read about this stuff and you see these technologies, they're not, they're not coming, they're here. And you think, wow, this is, this is an exciting space. You know, the potential of this is exciting. Now I say all of this with a lot of passion, but the flip side, there's a lot of things we still need to do. So there's still a lot more work that we need to do, but we shouldn't underestimate that some of these technologies really are changing the way we deliver healthcare and also the way you experience it. Um, I think the experience of healthcare should never, ever be underestimated. So much that I want to talk to you about with that sort of stuff. I want to take you right back to when you started talking about telemedicine and tele and that it's almost a no brainer now. And it's funny, isn't it? That I suppose telemedicine has gone from being health tech to just healthcare. And it's an interesting point, isn't it? That at what point does technology just become part of the industry? And that's just how you do it. Because it's, it's like, even now you don't talk about like, car tech you just talk about like air conditioning or or like the fact that apple plays now in a car like it's not car technology it's just it's just the technology and like it's just it's just part of it and i do wonder you know it seems to me when when we bring that forwards to now ai i wonder how long it will be before we do just consider ai as just part of the scenery and just part of it and uh, and you talk about the computing power and you talk about all the potential benefits of it that are likely to carry forward into the future. And I completely agree with you. And I I do almost think that there's going to be this point in the not too distant future where we do talk about the days pre AI and post AI because of just the power that it can have. Now I also appreciate what you say. There is lots still to be done, but seemingly you're part of the swell of people doing that. And that's why I wanted to get you on to talk about some of that stuff. You mentioned the award, there's the AI lab, there's lots of projects that are going on. Can you sort of, I don't know, cut the wood from the trees for us and just sort of lay out what is actually going on behind the scenes um, of the, of the center of the NHS? Sure. Um, gosh, it's a real small question. Just like lay all that stuff (laughs) out for us. That'd be great. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, um, I always find it so difficult to explain all of this very quickly. But uh, having worked in an A and E for many years, being able to describe a very sick person in three minutes, hopefully so I can I can do this. I um, back you. I back you, Indra. <laughs> so essentially, uh, we set up a program of work, and underneath a program of sort of four or five core what we call pillars. One of them I've talked about, which is the AI and Health and Care Award. And that is essentially about getting money out there. So money into the system for the system both to develop, but also to deploy AI technologies. And the reason we want to deploy them is to understand those really crucial questions. Like in the long term, how do you fund this stuff? And in the long term, how do we ensure that we have all the process in place, like we do for med tech and diagnostics, to evaluate it and make sure we're getting both value for money, but value for care. So that's what the award is doing. We then have underneath that and sort of wraps around that what we're calling our regulatory work um, programs, where we work in the UK, we have a number of regulators, some looking at um, medical devices, we call them the MHRA, some looking at the ethical areas, we call them the HRA, and then some looking at what we call evaluation and effectiveness, and they're called NICE, N-I-C-E, and they all have acronyms behind them, but for time, I won't explain them all. (laughs) And we're working with all of them to both understand, A, how do we ensure that these technologies do what they say they do? B, once they're in the system, how are we making sure that they're safe and effective? 
and see how do we get value for money and then how do we ensure as i talked about earlier we get that kind of procure we call it procurement others call it buying but that kind of buying process that both reassures us in the center or the national commissioners or regional commissioners but also back down to the system so healthcare professionals using those technologies and the public who are involved in those technologies so that's what we're doing with there and then we have a series of what we're calling peripheral programs and projects some we're looking at research we're really um, aware that there are some very core fundamental ethical issues COVID-19 brought out the issues around the BAME population we're very aware that when you look at large sets of data that diversity that inclusion of data is very important so we're working with a few partners looking at some of these more wider ethical and research issues we're working very closely with um, imaging experts as well because um, without kind of bringing everything back to covid but during the pandemic chest x-rays chest cts it was a what we call a respiratory condition you know, a lot of companies said, oh, we've got some great AI technologies to help you here. But actually, how do we then look at those, as I talked about earlier, critique them and evaluate them so they are right for our healthcare system? So we set up something called a National COVID Chest Image Database. And out of that, we're trying something which is pretty exciting and quite groundbreaking. And we've talked a lot to the international community around this, is around that kind of validation of a model. So you take a model, you know it works in your training data set but then if you're going to put it into what we call a host system or a deployment system does it work as well in that system as we think it will and so that's what we're calling sort of our validation work stream so some of these are slightly technical and so these are the different areas and then we've got um, a couple of other programs working with the department of health nihr the national institute of health research to kind of look at how can we use ai techniques to look at long-term conditions comorbidities and um what we're calling accelerating detection of disease so um, risk factors and risk scores so in a nutshell a large program of work trying to put money into the system trying to work with those both on the ground and who evaluate but also trying to solve some of what we call the knotty issues like validation. Yeah, I've done, I suppose, a fair amount of desk research, you might want to call it, of just looking around at what what has been going on with AI in, in the UK. And I've stumbled upon so many of the things that you've mentioned. And I think the unifying thing for me has been the realisation that nothing happens in isolation. You've talked about startups and and entrepreneurs and technology but you've also talked about the funds required and whether that you know vc funds or indeed grant funds or you know funds essentially from from government whatever it is but money needs to be put into the system but you've also talked about frameworks that that needs to be put in the regulatory side and you know it's not sexy to talk about regulation but the point is everyone can have more fun if there's a few rules in the back, right? If there's a way to win the game safely, fairly, properly. And I think it's almost as if that regulatory side is when it's put in is enabling actually more innovation to happen because people can innovate within a framework that they're comfortable in. There can be clear winners for then, as you talked about the procurement of it, we can procure it safely. People can feel comfortable with the way that they're procuring it. I saw that you guys released the checklist really straightforward for like, for trusts, this is how you buy AI. These are the 10 questions to ask. It's, it's things like that, that, that just shows that there seems to have been a central strategy behind it in the NHS, which I've really liked. But you also talked about, you talked about ethics and the ethics behind it, which again, when you're talking about buying something, it becomes very personal 
when somebody has to sign it off, a few people have to sign it off. So the ethics of it does come into play and it is important. And again, validation and things like that. So for me, I suppose what you're saying and, and from the research that I've done and, and the, the looking at it behind the scenes, it's, I don't know, it just seems really encouraging to me that yes, I heavily weight the technology entrepreneurs on this podcast. I heavily do so. I, it's always about the innovators. It's always about the people building companies. It's always about raising hundreds of millions of VC money. But I don't know, it seems like in the last few episodes, I've, I've hit this desire to, to actually say there's more people than entrepreneurs behind what goes on here it all needs to fit into an ecosystem. It needs to be bought by somebody. It needs to be executed on by somebody. It needs a patient to be used on. It needs a clinician to be safely overseeing it. It needs all these different people and and partly the reason I wanted you on. So one thing I did want to ask you on, you mentioned the national chest image database. That sounds really cool and really interesting and i suppose particularly for the entrepreneurs or future entrepreneurs listening that might want to use such a database to validate a model can you tell me a little bit more about that in terms of how people might go about it or getting in touch with you to use it or anything along those lines yeah sure um i mean this was a real brain project that happened during the pandemic as i said we had so many people who came to us and said oh we've got technology and as, as a system, you want, you want to be really supportive and you want to say, yes, you know, we're in, we're in a crisis here. Anything that we can do to help will help. And so what we discovered with um, the academics and the clinical community is actually we needed to start collecting images on this. And so we're very fortunate here in the UK, we had a regulation, um, a kind of a clause, so to call it. It was called the COPI. It's called a COPI notice, which says during a pandemic or, or a public emergency, public health emergency, you're allowed to collect data. So we were allowed under that regulation to collect chest images, specifically COVID diagnosed chest images, to collect them, to allow people to train on that. Now, it, you're very welcome if, you're, if, you're, if you have images and you want to donate them into this pool or you want to have access to the images, and um, for want of making it easy, I'm just going to say, do go to our website, www.nhsx.nhs.uk forward slash AI dash lab. Um, maybe you can put that in some kind of uh, I'll text put that in somewhere. the show notes for people listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we've got a GitHub account where it's got all the data on it. And then you can have a look and um, a little uh, email address where you can apply for access to the data as well. So, yeah, it's a. It's something that is a real good news story that came out of this. And we're working with a number of colleagues. So it's not just us in NHSX, but um, partners like HDR UK, so Health Data Research UK. So if entrepreneurs are listening and they are interested in getting data in the UK, HDR UK do have something what we call an innovation gateway or a data gateway where you have access to a lot of data sets of different kinds, depending on which one you need. Again, open portal gives you the process and how to access the data. Yeah. So another point I want to make is that nobody does this stuff alone and something that you've met the word that you've mentioned, I think twice now, collaboration. There are lots of different organizations that play into this stuff. And again, one thing that one message that that I'm, I'm having this desire to put out at the moment is that you don't need to found a billion dollar health tech company to make a difference in health tech. There are so many organizations that are doing work in this space that you can go and get experience from or indeed use your expertise to help. And I mean, you've mentioned what, like 10, even in this of just the people that you guys work with. It seems to be 
that NHSX is very much in the business of partnering to get things done, collaborating to get things done. Is that what it's like behind the scenes at NHSX? Absolutely. I would say in any large organisation, and I'm sure if you've had some, you know, big players, so to say, on your podcast, they will say the same. You know, it's impossible to do anything by yourself. Um, You're the biggest player on the podcast so far in drama, so. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, but, you know, you have, you have to work with other people, and especially in this space. I mean, you know, for me to turn around and go, oh, yeah, we put some money in and we're going to deploy some technology, I'd be lying. You know, it goes all the way down to both that person on the ground who is actually going to implement that model into their healthcare system or their IT infrastructure all the way up to the person who's writing the contract um, and signing it and kind of saying, yes, that's going to work. And there's a multitude of skills across here. And that's one of the things we've really discovered that there's no one skill that kind of, oh yeah, I've got it. I'm, you know, I'm a data scientist. I can definitely do AI. Sure. You can definitely build a model, but there's all the rest of it. And I think it applies to any health technology, you know, and this is the thing I do love about my job is just the brilliant variety of people I get to speak with. Um, almost on a daily basis and understand that actually there's so many different layers and I would say what NHSX is and the core of the NHS AI lab is is we're, we're a real enabler we're trying to enableize and catalyze the system to do what it is essentially doing and bring some of those more sometimes I think of myself as a juggler but bring all of those sort of slightly disparate parts together to make sense but also to enable that change to happen over time both on the front line, but also from a policy and a strategy perspective. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I want to zoom in now onto the AI award itself. I think when I looked at it, one of the things that that jumped out at me was that, you, and you mentioned it earlier, you're, you're not only giving this money to people that are ready to scale, market ready, all of that stuff. You're also really spreading it across everything from idea stage upwards so you're sort of i don't know again it, it builds into the strategy that you guys clearly have which is what i thought when i looked at it which is that you're willing to kind of fund the bits that are ready to go but you're also cognizant of the fact that there is a pipeline issue here as well that needs to be resolved which is that there's no point throwing money in at the end where you know, to series A, series B, series C has already happened and these guys can go. Actually, there is still the notion that we need to be seeding the ideas properly and, you know, giving money to the ones that are the best to kind of help the pipeline through. I really liked that. It seems to be an approach that is not just for the short term because there would have been a lot more quick wins, arguably, if you'd given it all to the people that were series B, already had a few couple of trusts, a little bit of data, you know, it would have been a possibly more headlines for you to, to do it that way. But it seems as if you've had a longer term approach of saying, well, actually, let's build something for the future here. Tell me a little bit about that decision to do that. Sure. And, um, you know, it, a lot of this is really down. And I go back again to our partners. So we, we partnered up with the NIHR, the National Institute mm -hmm. of Health Research here in the UK, because if you think about it, um, the AI award, it's 140 million over three years. Um, split into various phases. So phases one to four, one is what you were talking about, those kind of early stage ideas. So when you've got an idea and you're just applying for access to data to kind of build either a product or a model, 
and um, all the way to phase four where you've had your regulatory approval if you're a medical device um, and you're ready to you're already in in a healthcare setting and you want to scale up so it's great to buy good technology but you need to create a pipeline as you say so you need to make sure that you create the skills the knowledge the acceptance and you work through some of those knotty issues that i spoke about earlier which by funding earlier stage products allows you to look at those and think those through and also we wanted to create that pipeline so if you were you did happen to get funding say you were a phase two product you know we'd help you work through to phase three and then to phase four with the idea that we wanted you to, to to be successful we want companies to be successful and to, to be able to deploy into the nhs and on the flip side we wanted to work with the commissioners to understand okay for example you've got a device which doesn't fit into a national uh, a normal procurement pathway you know so okay for a few years we will pay for it up front a kind of a, a standalone fund but over the longer term how are we going to pay for these technologies and that's kind of the crux of the issue we really wanted to solve with the phase four whilst with the phase ones and twos was to really understand how we created that pipeline but built those skills you know this isn't just about bringing in WYSI technology this is about making sure that the workforce understand it that they trust the technologies patients understand that they trust it it's all about that kind of wider um, narrative that goes along with anything new i would say i mean ai is a type of technology but any type of new technology um, and yeah and you know when I, I talked about this earlier but just sort of looking through the list you know some of the really cool stuff you're coming on like the prognosis the kind of uh looking at i'm just reading through the list at the moment but kind of um at home eeg so it's brain uh scan monitoring the wearable technology we're looking at using ai to to detect things like ADHD and um, you know so do have a look um, listeners please do go and take a look on our website if you're after some of the ideas of it and if you are interested and you do have a technology and you do have a UK site here um, do do apply for round two it's open till the 8th of December um, yeah. yeah so tell us about round two then so round one was how much did you give out in round one 40 ish I think so. Yeah. I think it's about that, oh, wasn't it? I think around about that, maybe yeah. a little bit less, but yeah. Um, but people can apply for round two. So what's the, they can be at any stage, can they? So you're looking at phase one to four again. This is open. Yep. Phase one to four again. Um, and this time we've put a little bit of a focus on triage on triage imaging and what we're calling intelligent automation. One might even just call that process automation, but with some intelligence on it. And the idea with the triage is, again, I'm sure the same as in many countries, the health system has, you know, it's been, it's been under a lot of pressure over the last nine months. And unfortunately, there's a lot of backlog of patients who have routine care or kind of routine conditions or chronic conditions that may not have been able to have been seen to or cared for during the, the sort of the height of the pandemic. So what we wanted to do was offer that opportunity really to support the system now and over the next sort of six to 12 months in this specific period. Um, and so that's why we've had a, a bit of a focus there, but that's not to say if you don't have other technologies, we will still be interested. How many applicants do you, do you get? How many applicants do you get to the last one, do you know? So last time round one, saying? we had over 500. <laughs> we had 531 applications. I mean, even even that, right? This, even to know that there's 500 
health tech AI companies that are looking for, I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty healthy, that pipeline, thinking about it. That's, that, that gives me a lot, of, uh, a lot of hope that there's plenty to choose from, so you can choose some pretty good ones, I suppose. We did, I have to say. And, um... We've had a couple on the podcast, actually. We had, um, we had Peter from Chiron Medical, and we had, yeah. uh, we've had Ibex Medical on here as well, the pathology one. Um, mm. So we've had, that, we've had those two on. But yeah, no, crazy stuff that's going on, definitely. It's, it is amazing. And when you talk to people about their technologies, I mean, sometimes I feel a little bit removed from the actual day to day running of programs, kind mm. of overseeing the, the lab as a whole. But I made a real effort to kind of talk to all the, um, the phase four winners. And when they talk about their technology and the impact they've had in um, health settings, it's, it's really heartening to hear, actually, you know, we always talk about AI and technology as a kind of a cool whizzy, as you say, kind of sexy thing. But if you go down to what it really is doing, you know, being able to send devices to people who might not be able to come into hospital, for example. People often talk about that health inequality divide that digital can exacerbate. And there is that element. But then you listen to some of these companies who really are going out of their way to try and minimise that divide by kind of reaching those communities that may not necessarily either be able to come to a hospital, you know, take time out of life or jobs to to do the care that they need to do for whatever reason. So I've been really, you know, you get these warm glows that come across when you talk to these companies and it's brilliant. And it's brilliant to see that from a national health service or, you know, we're, we, we've got a constitution and you go down to those constitutional elements and it is brilliant to hear that, you know, nobody should not get the good quality healthcare, no matter who they are. And I know that you feel passionately about this as much as I do. It's here now as well. For so long, we've talked about, you know, when AI gets here, when AI is, is scaled, when, I, when AI does this, when AI does that. But the point is, is that it's actually on the ground floor doing a job right now. I think that point really needs to be made. It's, as I say, it's something that doesn't get much airtime because it's always been about the future. And as you rightly point out, it's seen as a very futuristic technology. But the point is, it is an incremental technology that has that has arrived and people are doing this stuff right now with support from the center like yourself. I suppose my question is, what's the future of it? How quickly do you think we're going to see scale? I mean, I mentioned before, I think it's not going to be long before we talk about the days pre-AI and post-AI, to be perfectly honest. I do think it's going to have that kind of monumental impact on the healthcare system. I really do. If you feel the same, I don't know. It'd be interesting to, to hear. But also, if so, when do you think that might be? When do you think it is going to hit that hit that real stride? Because as you say, you, there's plenty more to do. There's plenty more, I suppose, money that needs to be poured in and all the rest of it. But what can we expect from the near-term, medium-term future, do you think? Yeah, I think I think you're really right there, James, when you say, you know, it is here now. And, and, and I say this kind of quite pragmatically, you know, having gone through all those 500 applications, on a pragmatic level 42 got through so one mm. might argue that yes there's a lot of still noise in the community but actually there are some very good products out there that are doing some great things today now and they are in the system today so it's not like they're coming or they're about to come they're here and they're doing what they need to do now what they're doing might not be all bells and whistles so for example you know we've got a couple of technologies that are looking very specifically at mr contouring or image um, adaptation so it's not as 
you know, whistly as some might say, but it is here and it is doing it. Or we've got a couple of technologies that are looking at identifying patients that might be able to get through a ward. You know, you are on a ward, you're well enough now to move to what we say, um, de-risk them or go down to the next level of care. And those are technologies are here, they're, they're being deployed and what we're looking at now is the scale. And that's always the challenging thing. You know, it's, you're able to put it into a site, but actually do it into multiple sites. And eventually, you know, I'm not saying countrywide, but at least, you know, be able to have the opportunity to go countrywide is something that we're really looking at how you do that. And the challenge for us now is how long is a piece of string? You know, we had very, very, very big ambitions at the early end of the year nobody knew what would have happened <laughs> nobody could have predicted that and so you know we've had to stall some of these programs of work obviously staffing resource all the rest of it comes in and so from our perspective we're keen to move and we're keen to move at pace but we're also keen to make sure that we get the as i've talked about the fundamentals right and so over the next two years we imagine that actually or i hope rather is we will see some slightly clearer frameworks slightly clearer pipelines um, the beginnings of, dare I say it, um, more straightforward commissioning of of these types of products, and that that's not that far away. In all honesty, I think there's still a lot of work to say. Okay, you know, how do we how do we get some of the other basics right? And it, people always ask me about this question. I think it's not an and or or. You know. This is, this is also happening across the system. You know, there are a lot of basics that need to get improved, which is happening. And my part of the world or the AI part of the world is just one part of a very large jigsaw puzzle. So if all of this continues, we should hope to see some really good change. And one of the things we're quite keen about, I mentioned this earlier, is things have happened quite quickly over a number of years across many other countries and one of the great things we're actually thinking about and the pandemic has really helped us is we're linking into a number of international groups for example one run by the WHO and the ITU looking at AI and benchmarking and the regulatory frameworks on AI we've also linked in we're publishing soon a report with the GDHP something called the Global Digital Health Partnerships and the idea is that you know how do we learn from other countries, but also how do we build a much more robust AI strategy moving forward? So something just for listeners to look out for. And if um, uh, we're, we're very keen to go out and engage on this over the next sort of year or so is how do we actually build a robust AI strategy for healthcare um, here in the NHS? So much exciting stuff going on. And I think I'm so glad to, to have had you on the podcast, Indra, because you're, you're a voice of optimism when it comes to AI from a really uh, valid place, let's say. You're optimistic about this stuff, but you're also realistic and pragmatic about what we might need for the future as well. So sort of a voice of optimism and a voice of reason, if I will, in the AI space, which is nice. Um, <laughs> As I say, it's been an absolute pleasure. In terms of, I normally do asks for our audience. I suppose it's for people to get in touch around the round two of the AI award. But I suppose for anybody else listening, what are the best ways to engage with NHSX? And, and I suppose that goes for the entrepreneur side of the world, but also you know, for people in trust that might be looking to bring in AI even, or lots of people listen to this podcast. So yeah. any messages for our community? 
I mean, we've uh, we've recently set up what we're calling an, a virtual AI hub. We have so many people who come and talk. As to if us you didn't have any enough buzzwords, Indra. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, it, you know, on the website that I, I mentioned earlier on nhsx.nhs.uk, uh, um, there is a link on it that sends you to what we're calling a virtual AI hub. It's a great way both to not only talk to us um, we're we're always happy to talk but also to talk to each other you know I'm well, I'm very I'm very pragmatic that w there are multiple experts and everybody's an expert in some form or another that you might not have known about and so what we're trying to do is build communities on this platform where people can go and talk to each other share ideas but also share problems you know let's not shy away from the problems that we have and how you've overcome them Sometimes they're around and we always think of them as slightly tedious, but they're important. Things like information governance, data sharing, etc. Again, a lot of good content on the on the X website where you can find um, you know, just clarity over those guidance documents. And then the same, come and meet some new people. So do take a look at our hub if uh, if that's a call to action. And the other thing is, if you're an expert in this space or you really know about it, Share the reality of what AI can do. I mean, my personal slight bugbear is this kind of noise around it. But when you go down to the reality of what it can do, it is still fascinating. It's not not fascinating. So don't, you know, don't make an ice cream sundae out of uh, a chocolate flake. Okay, <laughs> but but make it great exciting. Analogy. <laughs> it's still it's still valid. What a great analogy on a Wednesday afternoon. Hey? <laughs> <laughs> I sort of think, what can I say? That'll do. That'll do. <laughs> oh, awesome. Indra, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. And I look forward to actually having you on again in a few months' time to just keep us updated as to what's going on in AI. I think it is it is fast moving. I hope I hope it is getting faster and faster. It seems to be. I think everything all the programs that you've mentioned, the funding, the regulation, the procurement, the ethics, the validation, you know, everything that's going on behind the scenes is really setting us up here in the UK to be, I think, a, a major player globally in the amount of AI that we can bring into our healthcare system. I think we do have incredible incentives uh, across the way that we set our healthcare up here in the UK to, to generally with that support from the center because we can because we're a public sector dominated healthcare system with that support i think we can we can really make a difference globally because the more we prove it here the more it can be exported globally as well and i think the companies that we've got here you know the usual adages of you know more techies than silicon valley in london and all the rest of it we seem to be develop we seem to be developing our pipeline again with help from yourselves in ai and healthcare we've got plenty of companies plenty of entrepreneurs we seem to have a maturing space to actually get that stuff adopted into healthcare. So I do think, I do think the future is bright when it comes to AI and healthcare, but um, as I say, pleasure to have you on and thank you. Thanks James. Pleasure to be here. Hey everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media. So you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.